Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Flagship Podcast. I am Chip Brown, joined, as always, by the managing editor of Horns 24-7, the one and only Taylor Estes. Taylor, how you doing? I'm doing great, Chip. How about you? Hey, you know what? I'm not going to complain. My cedar fever is completely kicking my bleep, (laughs) but I'm trying to, like, I'm doubling up on my allergy medicine which i'm not supposed to do but it seems to be working so i'll i'll just risk it you know yeah i've, I've had to do the same thing it's been kind of miserable um in austin lately with allergies but yeah i've had to take two allergy pills a day and so i just went to sleep i feel like all day long because of this stuff yeah not good no. not good but uh it's kind of like uh texas basketball you know oh, what i mean geez. oh boy oh my gosh uh, listen, there is good news there's good news we will be talking to the one and only Bobby Burton. We'll also be talking to Norm Watkins, who played uh, at Texas in the early 90s and was a high school rival of Jay Bulware and then the freshman roommate at Texas with Jay Bulware. So we'll, we'll take you behind the scenes, get into the uh, turnback machine. And Norm Watkins, of course, played linebacker under David McWilliams and then John Makovic, same, well, no, Jay Bulware played on the offensive line, but also played one year for David McWilliams and then uh, for John Makovic and Jay Bulware, of course, the new tight ends and special teams coordinator uh, coming from OU, where he's been the last seven seasons. And uh, we'll certainly get into that conversation. And... um, but Taylor, last night, because this is Tuesday, last night was the 38-point beatdown by West Virginia of, of the Longhorns in Morgantown, and this was this was awful. This was really awful. Terrible. I mean, it, it leaves you kind of speechless, which I feel like has been a little bit of a um, common situation with with Texas basketball under Shaka Smart. You know, I think that I, – I don't think Shaka's a bad coach or anything like that. But, I mean, to lose in that type of fashion against a conference opponent, it's it's nothing short of embarrassing, I feel like. And, you know, I don't know if you saw, um, but TJ Ford, the former Texas basketball player that led Texas to Final Four, the last Final Four that Texas played in 2003, he's, he went off publicly on Twitter. He said – uh, Chip, you know, he said his tweet said, quote, it's very disappointing and disheartening to watch the direction of Texas has taken now. I've never witnessed a blowout of this magnitude in Big 12 play like tonight, talking about that 38 point loss to West Virginia. I mean, at this point, Chip, do you think Shaka Smart can do anything to save his job? I mean, outside of getting on an unbelievable role, getting into the NCAA tournament, getting to the second weekend. No. I mean, I think, and I wrote this at Horns 24-7, and if you're not um, a member at Horns 24-7, man, you missed out on an unbelievable special that we had going, a 60% off annual membership. But, I mean, even still, it's worth getting in um, and become an annual member so that you get VIP access to all the team sites on the 24-7 Sports Network. But I wrote last night that I, I don't think – Shaka Smart's $10.5 million buyout after this season is going to save him. Mm-hmm. Last year, I think, obviously, they were 16-16. and 16. They got into the NIT. They ended up winning it. And his buyout was, you know, hovering at $14 million. I think I think it saved him at that point. This time, I mean, again, barring... Uh, an incredible turnaround that 
I have no, I have not seen any hint of this team being capable of because there is no, there is no culture of discipline and toughness in this program. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't see how Shaka can can save it. I think we're headed to a fiery crash here in men's basketball. Uh, this is not what Chris Del Conte wanted, although he's probably in the back of his mind thought, well, what if the hiring of Luke Yachlick, the top assistant at Michigan under John Beeline, as, as Shaka's new uh, top assistant, and Andrea Hootie, who came in as the strength coach from Kansas is, and is presiding over strength and conditioning for men's and women's basketball here at Texas. I mean, Del Conte tried to help, and and now Shaka's showing that this job was too big for him. He doesn't, and that I mean, it's one thing for Chris Beard at Texas Tech to go to an Elite Eight and then the championship game last year, and probably should have won the championship if Jarrett Culver doesn't leave his man um, at the three-point line to go defend a layup that didn't matter. But now Scott Drew and Baylor are number one in the country. And and Shaka's in year five and still showing that he has no control over this program. If if you're if your players take on the coach's personality in the final four minutes of a close game, then we know everything already. Mm-hmm. Because there they were against Kansas. They tie the game fifty four fifty four at the Irwin Center with 450 left. And from that point on, Taylor, Texas was one of six shooting, 0 of three from the three-point line, and one of three from the free throw line as KU closed the game on a 12-3 run and won the game by nine. I mean, you got veteran guards in Matt Coleman and Courtney Ramey. You got a veteran inside player in Jericho Sims who's been playing well. They don't feed him. They don't run stuff for him. And and then you've just got this erratic rotation and non-rotation. I mean, we keep hearing Brock Cunningham from Westlake is one of the best energy defenders on the team. He never plays. Will Baker, their seven five-star, seven-footer, barely plays. It's like Shaka doesn't know how to use his talent he doesn't know how to incorporate his talent in a rotation these players aren't getting better right it's a disaster and I I don't want to belabor it because we got a long way to go we're not even to the midway point of the conference season but it's I've I pulled the plug on Shaka in year two when he went 11 and 22 and Tevin Mack ran his program until he finally kicked Mac out of the program. I couldn't believe it the other night when I saw that Tevin Mac scored 22 points for Clemson yeah. in their upset of Duke. But, um, yeah, I mean, Shaka, everyone loves Shaka. Great person. This isn't personal. It's business. It's it's no good. It, it doesn't work. And so um, Chris Conte is going to have to make it rain one more time with $760 million worth of facility upgrades going. He's going to have to go make it rain. I mean, the money that they're going to spend on Shaka's buyout is the same money they spent to build the the Longhorn Athletic Hall of Fame in the North End. Right. So, I mean, it's you hate to see that. You hate to see $10 million just out the window. But right. this was Steve Patterson. You know, oh, yeah. This was, this was the fallout. Yeah. I mean, the situation is eerily reminiscent, in my opinion, of how the Charlie Strong era played out. You know, you know. Ne- you don't want to talk badly about, you know, Shaka Smart, the person, because he's a good guy. He's a good, I think he's a great mentor for young men. Um, And that was kind of how Charlie was. But the results show that he's just not, he's not the right guy for this job. And I mean, the fact alone that he's been at Texas for four full seasons, this is his fifth year at Texas, and Texas has yet to win uh, the few times they've actually made it to the NCAA tournament in that time period has yet to win a game. I mean, that alone is just kind of astounding um, for a program. I mean, I know Texas is not 
a major basketball program or anything along those lines, but you expect them to be at least a little competitive, make it past the first round of the NCAA tournament, and that has yet to happen under Shaka Smart's watch. So, you know, I think Chris Del Conte, he may not have hired him, but he's going to have to make the ultimate decision here, and I think the best decision at this point, even though it's so early in the season, so early in Big 12 play, as you mentioned, is to move on and try to find another coach to take over for Texas basketball. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? They get to play SEC leading LSU Saturday at one at the Irwin Center. And Fran Fraschilla will be on the call. Last night, Fran Fraschilla during the OU Baylor game called Texas a soft, non-competing basketball team right now. Well, I mean, it's, so, is that wrong? I mean, if you look at the, I mean, oh God, no. yeah. I mean, of the 59 That's... points that Texas scored against West Virginia, more than half came from two players only. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen that. Yeah. We saw that against Providence. I mean, this team is just all over the place. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the, the – you take on the personality of your coach and Shaka uh, is all over the place. So – with that, let's uh, let's get everyone up to date on the final position coach search before we get to Bobby Burton and, and Norm Watkins, um, who was roommates with Jay Boulware uh, at Texas, and get some little, uh, little inside behind the curtain look at Jay Boulware. Uh, the defensive line coach, defensive tackles coach, however they're going to position that, is the last spot on the staff mm-hmm. and it's been I mean it, it's been a thorough search I think we can say I mean um that's one way to put it <laughs> yes right? I, mean, I mean thorough sure. But, sure. <laughs> uh, but yet not uh hasn't hasn't produced the guy yet so there's you know there was uh Elijah Robinson Charlie Partridge Tosh Lapoy. Uh, Frank Ocam came in for an interview, and and now Frank Ocam is headed to the Carolina Panthers with uh, with Matt Rule. So, um, from what I'm hearing, Taylor, uh, Tom Herman is is letting Chris Ash kind of go off the the grid and kind of do what Mike Gundy did in looking for offensive coordinators. Maybe go find. That rising up and coming guy, whether he's in, you know, whether he's a, a, an assistant to an assistant in the NFL or a, a, an FCS or a Division two guy who's who's rising up the ranks, and so, the word is there's no hurry, uh, even with with signing day two coming up, all the coaches are out recruiting, um, and it allows them to have their director of recruiting Brian Carrington out on the road as a recruiter leading right up until signing day. So um, your thoughts on that? I think he's calling it thorough is putting it nicely. I think it's been an extensive, you know, type of search because it's gone on for a while, but I just kind of think Texas is scrambling at this point. I think that um, the candidates that the staff has kind of narrowed in on did not play out the way that the coaches really have wanted to or expected it to. I don't think that there's there's no part of me that believes that Texas wanted this to play out this way. Cuz there there are still some, you know, prospects out there um that Texas is looking at from the defensive line and Alfred Collins is one of those and you know Texas needs help up front. I mean, I think that was apparent in the um you know, the 2019 season, the lack of a pass rush that Texas got from kind of the front seven on defense really led to the defensive backs and the secondaries to struggle because quarterbacks had all day long to make their completions and to find open guys. And when you're putting, you know, corners out there on an island that are first year starters, I don't care how many games they played, you're you're just kind of guessing and hoping at that point. So I do think that this is not the way that Texas, you know, they can spin it however they want. I bet other media will probably spin it uh, certain ways too. But, you know, I do think that that this is a scramble move right now for Texas and at a position that really needs a little bit of an upgrade based off of the performance from last year. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think I think that's fair. I mean, um, 
I, for whatever reason, you know, whether, um, you know, whether the guy Chris Ash really wanted Elijah Robinson, A&M, you know, got wind of it, whatever, uh, increased his pay to the point where he was willing to stay at A&M. And then that sort of started a, a ripple effect of, okay, who's, who's next? And we're still in that process. So, um, you know, we'll see it, 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 I always say, wait until all the hires are made. And even then I would say the coordinators are the most important hires. And if you feel good about, about the coordinator hires, Mike Yersich, Chris Ash, then you should feel good about the, the overall reset of Tom Herman, um, but that D-line coaching position is significant because Chris Ash coaches the safeties. So he needs a guy he can totally trust to tie the front and the back of the defense together. Right. Because the linebackers coach, Coleman Hutzler, is a guy that Chris Ash has not worked with before. Mm-hmm. So there, there's going to be some, you know, there's going to be some newness and some getting used to and some familiarity that needs to come around quickly for this uh for this defense to to work and and get where they want to be so right uh, this is a it's a big moment for chris ash well and correct me if i'm wrong but he's never worked with oscar giles before either right right yeah so two of the current three assistants that he has on on defense you know two he's ever worked with one this is his first well technically his second year as a position coach ever at any level um in JVOI I know he played under Chris Ash but still he only has one year of coaching experience alongside Chris Ash so and that was when Ash was a head coach so I agree with you I think that this other coach it has to be someone that Chris Ash fully can trust to take over that front seven because I think we know after last season that's um, an area that needs some improvement, especially at linebacker. I think Coleman Hutzler has his work cut out for him a little bit in getting more linebackers on campus. I'm not knocking the talent that Texas does have at linebacker coming back in 2020, but it's very limited. Just look at the the scholarship numbers at linebacker. It's kind of shocking. Well, Taylor, I agree with you, and I would not be surprised if Texas was in the portal looking for some depth at linebacker because of those numbers and um, wouldn't be surprised to see him looking for a receiver too, who might, you know, provide some depth on the outside. We've talked a lot about Josh Moore as a possibility to be back on the team next year, but with this legal trouble and um, the university may want to weigh in on this, I think they might have to look for some more, um, some more depth at receiver in the portal as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. I definitely think, I think both those are positions could use some more bodies. I definitely linebacker. I mean, that should be probably number one priority right now. Um, especially, you know, with the medical diagnosis of DeGabriel Floyd, who is medically retired, you know, he was kind of the, the ringleader of the 2019 recruiting class from the linebacker position, and he's not going to be able to play for Texas. So I a hundred percent agree but with that chip, let's bring in Horns 24-7 publisher Bobby Burton to get y'all's take on all things Texas football. Yes, let's bring in the godfather, Bobby Burton. Love this uh, little glass half full versus glass half shattered. Is that kind of how we've <laughs> positioned this segment, Bobby? Oh, uh, uh, well, sometimes I'm fully shattered and sometimes I'm fully in. So I, <laughs> I don't think you can categorize me like that. I know you want to, but no, that's true. You're, you're, you're unpredictable. That's good. That keeps, yeah. you know, that's what you want. You keep everyone on their toes. And, um, let's see. So last week when we were talking, Coleman Hutzler had just been hired as the linebackers coach. And now we know he's the co-defensive coordinator. So they had to give him a little bit more money and a title to get him away from Will Muschamp at South Carolina. But um, Coleman Hutzler, as linebackers coach, let's start there before we get to Frank Ocam going on to the Carolina Panthers and and your thoughts on Jay Bulware. But uh, Coleman Hutzler, Bobby. 
Well, I mean, I think that that I don't know enough about him, uh, frankly, to to really comment too far. I would say that if you make it um, through uh, a couple of years of Will Muschamp, you're probably okay on defense as a coach. Um, if you, you know, he doesn't suffer fools very glad, very easily. So I, th- I think that, uh, that's probably a good, a good sign. And even though I, I, I know we're going to talk about Jay Bulware, I know that Bulware comes with the title of special teams coach. Typically special teams coaches shared amongst shared duties amongst multiple people on the staff, even if someone is named the actual special teams coach. And I, I would assume that he'll get one aspect of, of special teams coaching, whether it's punt, punt, return, kick, kick, return, something like that. So, um, and he, and he was, he had that or held that title at South Carolina as well. So look, I mean, I think he's a young coach. That's another uh, thing that uh, is interesting to me. I think he's in his what thirties at this point. So I I think that um, it's one of those things where, you know, Let's just – I'm just going to have to wait and see because I don't know enough about him to predict how that hire is going to go. Well, it's a good point on the special teams aspect. And when you throw in the fact that Andre Coleman has worked with the return guys at K-State. Well, and, Andre Coleman was a tremendous returner himself. Right. I mean, that's a, that's where people – record. Yeah, yeah. That's where people remember him for. So Yeah. And help take DJ Reed – a guy, you know, a defensive back at K-State to second-team All-American status and first-team All-Big 12 in 2017 was top two in the nation in punt and kick return. So uh, when you combine Coleman with Coleman Hutzler and Jay Bulware, I think there's hope. There's hope, Bobby, for special teams at Texas, which have been languishing, um, what, since Marquise Goodwin and, you know, a little flash from Jordan Shipley, but... Well, I mean, I, I think that add one more piece to that puzzle, and his name's Deshaun Jameson. Yeah, and exactly. I, th- I think you may have a little something in special teams that where you actually have positive return yardage, yardage on punts before the twelfth game of the season. So, yeah, yeah, you eleventh, whatever it was. Special teams returns are the mindset of the coach, right? If you're a coach that wants to be aggressive and and make those hidden yards and and make plays on special teams you coach up the return if you're not and you're just a fair catch guy and a guy who just doesn't want a mistake you don't and you know Charlie Strong was a guy who was a fair catch guy and and so was Herman to a degree uh his uh, his first year um at Texas but as you get more familiar with your personnel I think you and you see a guy like Deshaun Jameson, you got to turn that guy loose. You got to coach him up. You got to coach that return unit up and and try and make some some plays like they got in the Alamo Bowl. That was the biggest play of the first half. Yeah, and to add to that, Chip, uh, you know, you and I both know why they got tentative this year, and that's because of what happened against Oklahoma State. Yep. And to be fair, as much as Deshaun Jameson Jameson performed against. Utah. Um, he also muffed a punt yep. in that same half. Yep. Um, and so I think Herman got com- not complacent, but reticent um, to really go hard on special teams when you don't have somebody back there that can field a punt cleanly. Um, obviously, this was J- Jameson's first year doing it full time, and he really didn't do it full time. Brandon Jones was back there three quarters of the time, probably. So, uh, look, I think that 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 can turn around um, and should turn around because Texas is starting to have some guys that have some, you, you know, the big thing on the big thing on return guys is they've got to commit to something and then they've got to have that, that just that special little burst to them. You know what I mean? They can't have this slow, slow burn. Like it just doesn't work that way, especially in the punt game. And that's why I think, Jameson above some other guys on the on this team has that little quick burst that maybe five to seven yard burst that other other people just don't have that can get him going in a lane and buy some people in that first wave of of defenders. Yeah, he's got a fearlessness to him the way he plays defensive back as well. I mean, it gets him. He makes a lot of plays and it's because he 
he gambles and he seems to have a pretty good idea when to gamble. Um, he, he will really benefit from playing more press, even yeah. though he's smaller, um, because he, unlike uh, Anthony Cook's problem, in my opinion, is that he doesn't fit in a guy's hip pocket very well. He doesn't shadow as well as uh, Jalen Green or, or Deshaun Jameson. He's he's more of an off corner. Um, and so I think playing more press will help Jameson, despite Jameson being outmatched size-wise. Yeah. Because he'll, he'll be able to handle the um, uh, quick posts more easily, the slants more easily, because he's going to be a little bit more in the guy's hip pocket. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with that. And Jameson... Um, he had, uh, he had five tackles for loss this year. So he's a guy who will get off blocks on those receiver screens, get upfield, make a play. And I, I really like where Deshaun Jameson is headed after one, one year at defensive back and one year at receiver. Um, Bobby, the, um, uh, Jay Bulware returns to Texas. He was an offensive lineman. For David McWilliams for one year in 91, uh, and then uh, for John Makovic in 92, and then diagnosed with um, a cardiac arrhythmia and became a student coach for Makovic, and it sort of set him on his way. He ended up going with Makovic to Arizona, and, and from there it was Stanford and then Kyle Whittingham at Utah and Gene Chizik at Iowa State, and then Auburn, and then Bob Stoops, where he's been the last seven seasons, the last three under Lincoln Riley. Um, initially, he was tight ends coach at OU and then moved to running backs coach, but has coordinated special teams, and now he's coming back to, to Texas. Your thoughts? Well, I think it's like I, I wrote on Twitter. I mean, I, it makes you feel really old when you remember when someone was recruited. I, th- I think I was actually there on his official visit. Um, <laughs> How'd know, that we go, to, Bobby? Well, take, we take to, us inside Jay Bulwer's. <laughs> I don't remember Jay Jay's visit because I, I do remember we all ate steaks up in. Um, I think it was the eight. Isn't it at the eighth floor? Does that sound right to you when you go yeah, in the old Belmont, elevators? Yeah. yeah. So we'd all have steaks and uh, all kinds of shrimp and whatever you wanted. Yeah. 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 Well, it wasn't the centennial room at the time. It was (laughs) back back then. It was just a room (laughs) that had a, it had a bar for the coaches and the parents basically. Um, but, uh, not that they drank that much or anything at that point, but anyways, it was, and you just basically had this huge spread and you could, that you would walk outside onto a uh, uh, onto one of the platforms outside of that, and that's where they would be grilling the steaks. Oh wow! And so you would you would smell the steaks if you just walked outside, and they'd come in, and kids would order them however they wanted, you know. So, um, but uh, that was a that was an interesting time, and you know, Jay was a promising player at some level. Uh, I think he was. I, I think he actually started. Um, at one point, or it was least very much in the two deep. Uh, and uh, I remember Mike Deal, who was the offensive line coach that first year for John McAvick, uh, you know, really speaking highly of Jay as a as an intelligent player um, in a in a staff not in a staff meeting, but just as among a group of coaches at one point when I was there, and that kind of stuck with me. And so, you know, here we are, thirty years later, and and uh, Jay's coaching for the Longhorns, and so. Um, what I felt was, and, and I do remember him being a student assistant as well once he got diagnosed. So, I, look, I mean, I'm all for guys that played at Texas coming back to Texas. I think that that there's some some value in that. Um, you know, if, if nothing more, it's it's a situation where you can say, hey, this guy put some put some blood on the on the uh, what was the carpet at DKR at that time, and you know, it, it means something. And that doesn't mean that whether it's Frank Oakham or, or Oscar Giles or Jay Bulware, I mean, they all have or may draft white in the past. I mean, I, I just think it means a little more to them. Uh, doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to perform better for you or anything like that. It just means a little more. So, you know, that they're 
they're typically more invested than just the guy that that is a, a coaching nomad going from job to job looking for the next, uh, you know, bigger, better deal. Well, while we're in the turn back machine, what, it's always good to, you know, for our new members here at Horns 24-7, and if you're listening and you're not a member of Horns 24-7, my goodness, take advantage of this incredible offer that's out there right now 60 percent off an annual membership and that annual membership gets you access to all the the vip content on all the team sites in the 24 7 sports network there's nothing like it out there so so grab that but bobby for our new members and and even for some of those who aren't familiar tell people you know when you were talking about being around the coaches tell folks what you were doing in the football office you know, back in the early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So late, late eighties, uh, early nineties, I went to Texas as an undergrad and, uh, walked up to David McWilliams at a lunch with the coach one time and said, Hey, can I volunteer to work for the football team in any capacity? And he said, yes. And so he goes, we're starting this video department. And so a guy named Mike Arias had just been named the head of the video department at Texas. And I sat outside for David McWilliams office one day for three hours, waiting for him to see me and he finally saw me for two minutes and said, here's Mike curious. You work for him. <laughs> so that, hey, it was worth the wait, right? I yeah. guess three hours. So that's that, well, he had business, you know, he did. He said, just come one afternoon, you know, and come see me. And I didn't, I tried to make an appointment, but there wasn't really, you know, I think it was Jan at the time was down there in the yeah. secretary. And so, I mean, uh, long story short, uh, I ended up, uh, working and filming every practice for three years and every game for, for three years for Texas. And, uh, as we got as video and VHS and super VHS and that sort of stuff became digitized, um, we started breaking down film into, you know, give me every third and long that Texas A&M has run in the past two years. Give me every, um, red zone first down that, Baylor has run in the last three years, but that, that sort of stuff. Um, and so that's kind of where I got going. And then ultimately, uh, we started cutting up, uh, recruiting video, uh, as well. And, uh, started dealing with that. And at that point it was really cumbersome process because I don't know how many people remember 18 millimeter film, but that was like a reel of film that weighed about five pounds. And you had to cut that, uh, you had to copy that from, because that's what most high schools were still using at the time and transfer it to VHS and then cut it up from VHS. So it was this long drawn out process to, um, uh, you know, to get to that, to that point. So uh, I think that that, that stage in the game, it was really, um, from a recruiting perspective, you were so reliant on your assistant coaches, finding the right players and being on the right players because video was just so cumbersome to deal with. Okay, one more thing before we get to the D-line coaching, uh, as the D-line coach turns it at Texas. Uh, Was it because of that that you came up with the idea for Rivals? No, I mean, I didn't didn't necessarily come up with the idea for Rivals. Uh, Me and a guy named Tim Fitzgerald, I don't know if you remember Tim or not, but he's still the Kansas State publisher. He actually and I started coming up with a – a website called recruiting now and, um, started it. And while I was working for the national recruiting advisor as part of that, and, uh, Tim couldn't, could, we couldn't come up with the money to, to start it that way. And so I got recruited to be part of rivals and, uh, ran the national national recruiting website for, for them for, I guess, four years with it, four years. And then we bought rivals and relaunched it. And it's been such a zoo, um, ever since, but, um, you know, the, the reality of it is, is that I worked with a guy named Ken Greenberg, um, from 93 on, I went from, uh, the university of Texas to a graduate student at the university of Houston, um, and working for them in the football department as a, a, uh, uh, in the recruiting office. And so my job was to find, I don't know if you remember a guy named a running back named Lamar Smith or yeah. Uh, offensive tackle named Billy Milner and Diedrich Mathis and uh, Jimmy Herndon and those types of guys. Um, 
guys that we were recruiting down at, at U of H and um, uh, dealt with that for a year. And then John Jenkins got fired and I went to work with uh, Ken Greenberg at the National Recruiting Advisor. That's man, that's great stuff. Um, I didn't realize you were working with uh, Tim Fitzgerald at the in the early. Tony, oh, yeah. Tim, well, we Tim, Tim and I came up with the idea together. But Tim never could actually get it going uh, because we couldn't get him down. He, he decided at that point to go full time at Kansas State as, as opposed to just editing uh, someone else's magazine because he ended up launches, launching his own publication. Gotcha. So, yeah, I mean, Tim and I kind of grew up together and that's how we got that. Tim's the one that uh, I don't know if you all remember Jeremy Crabtree or not. I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, Jeremy. Um, Tim's how I met Jeremy because Jeremy was a K-State student and Tim couldn't come down, couldn't move to Austin if he was very well, if he was doing this uh, publication at Kansas State. And so he recommended me, recommended Jeremy to me. And Jeremy ended up moving to Austin, lived in Austin, I think, for 10 years working for first the National Recruiting Advisor, then Rivals.com. And then, uh, you know, that's that's how it goes. That's good stuff. There's a little... Yeah. Uh little history lesson for the recruitniks who I know a bunch of them are listening right now. So appreciate that. All right, Bobby, um, the defensive line coach is the last coaching position on Tom Herman's staff uh, yet to be filled. And um, there's, you know, they've talked to a bunch of guys. There's been a lot of contact. Elijah Robinson, Charlie Partridge, Tosh Lapoy, Frank Ocam, and now Ocam is headed to the Carolina Panthers with Matt Rule. Um, obviously, this is as important a hire for Chris Ash as he's going to have. I mean, obviously, Oscar Giles is is there, but he's he's looking for maybe his guy. And um, and here we are. I mean, Brian Carrington's out on the road recruiting. They don't mind that. But uh, your thoughts on? kind of how the the defensive line coach search has gone uh, I think it's uh, I think that they're currently having issues is what I think um, I think that's very apparent or else they would have been done uh, at this point um, yes Carrington being on the road doesn't hurt them I mentioned that last week I think you and I talked about it last week um, or me and Mike Mike Roach did on our podcast and uh, I it is a reality that that Carrington being on the road is is no does not hurt Texas. The issue I feel at, at defensive line right now is I'm not sure they know what they want to do, and because of that, um, they're trying to find out. You know, they're beating the bushes right now and trying to find out what's going on. They they've talked to a couple different people, um, you know, but uh, I don't know that they have down pat what they want to do yet we'll see how it goes over the next couple of days somebody could surface and uh something could happen but uh you never know well bobby anything else that's uh hot on your mind um i i just i'm sitting here i'm sitting here going over the recruiting class you know as i try to do i try to keep even if i don't call the kids like i used to and, and go and see them like i used to i still I'm very intrigued by that aspect of, of uh, college football. And um, I, uh, I feel like right now Texas needs some playmakers. And I don't know, I don't know other than B. John Robinson necessarily if they're getting those playmakers in this class from a offensive perspective. Um, so uh, we'll see how that goes. I think Hudson Card is, a, is definitely a potential starter down the road for them at quarterback. I don't know if Jaquindon Jackson is going to be able to make that transition, no matter how good he is as a player right now. So we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. But um, um, I'm I'm interested to see how they translate this season into next recruiting season. They had that big recruiting weekend this weekend, and so I, you know, who are going to be the next wave? of guys that can be an electric playmaker. We mentioned Jamison, a guy like Jake Smith, I think has that ability. Um, uh, Bijan Robinson, I think is in that category. They lost Quentin Johnston during this coaching purge to uh, TCU. And I thought he was going to be that guy in this class for them from a receiver perspective. So I don't know. It's just something for me to, to keep an eye on. Um, and some yeah, I'm and concerned I, with. 
I agree with you, and we talked about the lack of speed last week. And the only early enrollee um, among the skill players, um, Troy O'Meer, and mm-hmm. he's a big guy. He's a 6'5", 205 receiver who might be able to try to challenge to get into the 2 deep behind Brennan Eagles at X. But what do you think of Troy O'Meer? I, I think he's a I think he's a solid player. I think that the, the issue with him and, and so there's two ways you can go about this, right? Is I mean, one you want the NFL and you know, I try to listen to what a lot of their guys talk about, and one of the things they talk about are, are mismatches, right? And so Omir is a physical mismatch for some people or will be. Um the question I have is, is he enough of a, a good route runner and quick enough to actually create the mismatch that his body size will allow him to have? I would say that Malcolm Epps probably is not um, at this stage as a comparison. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, despite Malcolm making some contributions to the team this year, I just don't think he's that guy, right? And so I think Omir's a little bit quicker than Malcolm. I think he is not quite as big. Uh, but but we'll have to see if he can actually get off some cover, some press coverage and and deal with things. My question is, again, is he quick enough? Is he fast enough? And does it translate at that next level? Sometimes you just don't know until you get guys like that on campus. And so I, I think that uh, we'll find out probably within his first couple of years, first really first year, if he's quick enough to make a, a real impact even if he doesn't play your near one, you typically know by watching practice and and uh, seeing seeing how he takes coaching. So yeah, good stuff, Bobby. Uh, always enjoy the conversation. Let's do it again next week. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, we'll know who the D line coach is at that time. Yeah, <laughs> that, I, was, no, I, that wasn't meant as a that was not meant as a uh, dig. I'm I'm sincere. I I I think that uh, it's getting close, and and we need to know who the D either defensive tackle or defensive end guy is going to be right we're closing in on national signing day too um there he is the godfather bobby burton thanks bobby all right thanks see you chip the flagship podcast rolls on okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available h-track all-wheel drive and three-row seating my whole family can head deep into the wild Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Join now on the flagship podcast here at Horns 24-7 by former Longhorns linebacker, we call him Storm and Norman, number one in your program and in your hearts, Norm Watkins. Norm, how you doing, my man? Chip, I'm doing great, man. Happy MLK Day. Yes, yeah, same and, to uh, you. It's a great day. It is a great yes, day. Sir. It is a great day. Um, transformative day. And uh, appreciate you taking some time with us here on the flagship podcast. It was funny because you and I were texting about maybe watching the UFC fight together over the yes. weekend. And that, yes. turned, that turned out to be a clunker. I'm glad we didn't make <laughs> big plans for that. But um, you mentioned that Jay Bulware, Texas's new tight ends coach and special teams coordinator, was your roommate um, when you were a freshman. Is that right, at Texas? Yes, sir. So Jay and I go way back. We both went to school in Irving, Texas, yep. right outside of Dallas. Yep. And believe it or not, when I first moved uh, to Texas, 
my mom relocated from IBM back in San Jose, California. We moved to Texas and I actually went to, went to junior high school my eighth grade year in Irving, the last semester of my eighth grade year. And Jay and I met Jay at a basketball game that we both competed against each other. We were the same age, uh, ended up playing against him. And he went to Urban Nimitz, and I went to Urban High School. So I've been knowing Jay, believe it or not, since the eighth grade. Wow. And so we competed against each other and became, obviously, great friends throughout high school. And I've been knowing Jay basically since I was an eighth grade, you know, eighth grade kid moving to Texas, specifically Irving, and competing against him. And then we actually ended up deciding to come to University of Texas together uh, back in 1991. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So you, you both arrived under David McWilliams. Yes, sir. And we then both arrived under Coach McWilliams. And then yes. you had one year with Coach McWilliams. And then yes. John Makovic came in. Yes, the roommate. He, Jay played on the offensive line. You, of course, were a linebacker, ended up playing, yes. playing some pro ball. And, yes. and you were at Texas from 91 to 95, I think. That's correct. And Jay ended up being, what, a grad assistant for Makovic in 94 and 95? That's correct. So Jay was scheduled to start uh, following following our freshman year. We both were pretty highly recruited. Jay was an amazing, unbelievable offensive lineman, by the way. But he ended up going to practice one day and ended up having uh, some symptoms in practice as far as you know, health-wise. And so make a long story short, not to go into too much detail, but then he ended up finding out he had a heart condition. So at that particular time, they they had declared that he would not be no longer playing football. So obviously with the passion and the love that he had for football, he ended up going into an opportunity to start doing some student coaching. So that ended up materializing into becoming a GA under Coach Makovic. So, you know, as devastating as it was, and you know, life, man, life, life, you just never know what life, right? He uh, came in as this promised an offensive lineman, him, Blake Brockemeyer, John Elmore, all those guys came in together. In fact, our class was called the class of beef because we had like the number one offensive line class in the country that year. And Jay was part of that class. And with that being said, unfortunately, health wise, and fortunately for him, you know, he ended up having to, you know, retire his cleats. But more importantly, he went into a role that he's still teaching young young men the game of football, right? So that's where it all started. That's how he ended up kind of getting his start because he couldn't no, he could no longer play the game, but he because of the passion and love he has for the game, he ended up going into the coaching world. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a great, great story. And take us back to that time because there you were. You've known him since eighth grade. He gets diagnosed yes. with cardiac arrhythmia. Yes. He, he can't play football. How did, what do you remember about his attitude at that time, uh, Norm? Because that's a big blow. I mean, he's thinking he's on one track and then all of a sudden he's on another. Well, I, I, I'll tell you one thing about Jay and on a personal note, because I know him personally, he's a strong man of faith. Uh, and so one of the things that we really connected, we both kind of, were raised with, you know, kind of a single mom and then his mom remarried. But Jay was just always a believer, first and foremost. And so through his faith, it got him through that tough time. And, you know, he had an opportunity, you know, you can say what you want to say about Coach Makovic, but he, Coach Makovic gave him an opportunity. They ended up really connecting. And then he stayed with the program and then just continued the love of the game. And so I never saw Jay waver, you know, during that time. He was still part of the team. But then he just transitioned into a coaching role and it just launched his career, ended up going, becoming a GA, got his master's. And then he followed Coach Makovic. And here we are now talking about Jay after being in super successful programs, got a national championship on his belt with Chiswick, has all those different conference championships and playoff experience with with Coach Stoops. And now, you know, with 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 uh you know, with the coach they have up there at OU now. And so now he's back home. So I, I just can't be happy. I just can't, cannot be happy, more happy for the guy and his family. 
Yeah, talking to Norm Watkins, um, of course, played for the Longhorns uh, with Jay Bulware, started their careers together in 91 at the University of Texas, Storm and Norman um, at linebacker, Jay Bulware as an offensive tackle. And you you mentioned it. He went with Makovic to Arizona. Um, yes. And he's coached tight ends and running backs at, at different times throughout his career. Um, but then he was... He was at Stanford for a year. Then he was with Kyle Whittingham. Yes, at, yes. U- at Utah. Kyle Whittingham, who just uh, faced the Longhorns in the Alamo Bowl, and then, as you mentioned, got on with Gene Chizik at Iowa State, and then Auburn followed him to Auburn, and then Bob Stoops grabbed him in 2013, and he'd been at Oklahoma for seven seasons. So along that path, Norm, um, you know. Talk about what you were gaining from Jay along his path as a coach. Well, Jay, starting back, Jay was a really smart guy. I remember in high school, uh, he graduated. Um, I know he's you know part of the top of his class. He was just always a very smart guy. So with that being said, he was always a student of the game. So from a technical standpoint, knowing the offensive line and just remember him playing against him, he was always technically sound. So with him, this was just kind of a natural progression into his career, becoming a coach. He's always been a developer of young men. You know, he was even in Sunday school. He would be a Sunday school. You know, he, he just was a guy that I knew that he would be successful in life. And then his passion is really coaching and mentoring young men. And so I really think we've just gotten – Man, I, I, I just can't say it enough. I, I just think we just gotten a real true prize in him. He has an edge to him as well, a nasty streak that have come over in a, a championship pedigree that I think will be a great uh, quality and qualities for the program moving forward. And, and I tell you this, I talked to Jay years ago, and he's always wanted to come back to his home, and that's the University of Texas. That's, that's great. And he's going to get to hang out with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you know. I'm out. I'm out living in the suburbs. So whenever he gets an opportunity, when he's not coaching, as you know, coaches, coaches, you know, they seem like they're they're working 24 hours, seven days a week. But when he has a chance, I've I've actually met with him a couple of days ago just to give him a big hug and congratulate him. But I told him, I said, as soon as you have a chance, I want to have you and your wife and your daughter to come over and have a good home cooked meal. So whenever he has a chance, he always has a a place where he can un- unwind and we don't necessarily talk about football, just get a chance to be friends. Well, let me tell you, anytime you get a chance to hang out with Storm and Norman, you want to do that because when you Google, oh no, my God. When, you go- <laughs> when you Google Norman Watkins, the first thing that comes up is like this 2015, you know, most eligible bachelor in Austin monthly magazine. So, you know, I mean, I'm just saying. I'm not to, not uh, trying to put Norm's business out there, but he's also got you know quite the pad out there in uh, in the burbs, you know. So hey, but Norm, tell just as a former player, guy who played mm-hmm. pro ball, guy who loves the Longhorns, right? Um, give us your take on the the big, you know, staff overhaul and 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 Tom Herman and and where things are here heading into year four. Well, I'll tell I'll say this. Obviously, I'm not that close to the program and don't know the ins and the outs, but I'll tell you this, I think coach Herman has made some really, really good, smart decisions. I think making a decision to keep coach Giles here was a great decision. I thought he's always been solid here. I know coach, he was on coach Mac Browns. And so to keep some continuity and obviously my heart has always been with Jay and to have him here. Uh, I've seen Jay even before OU game when he was coaching at OU and I've met him, you know, the day or two before a game. And I mean, you could just see the intensity in his eyes. And so I think he's bringing in people that he's done his homework, bring in some guys that will come back and be truly want to be these, their dream job and just bring in some good, solid coaches. I'm not real familiar with the offense and defense coordinator, but I've heard really good things just based on the research that's out there. But it looks like, you know, Coach Herman has hired a first-class uh, uh, coaching staff. And then I, even back then, you know, uh, 
uh, our athletic director, Chris Del Conte, goes way back with Jay Bulware as well. So they have a history together. So they know each other. So uh, I think Coach Herman's just done a good job of hiring some good, young, uh, innovative, more importantly, coaches that are going to be developing these kids. Because I think that was one of the things that may have been lacking. I mean, these guys are going to connect. They're going to recruit well. And they're going to develop these kids into the players that 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 we want to see, you know, coming in as four and five star guys. Well, Norm, it's always great to catch up, my friend. Always appreciate the time. Great insight into Jay Bullware. Any other little stories from your high school days against him? You were at at Irving High. He was at Nimitz. I mean, so we had some epic battles. So he went to Nimitz High School. I went to Irving High School. And we were friends prior to the games, but we used to be really, really nasty on the field. <laughs> and I tell you, the guy brings a lot of fire. And uh, we, we, we've had our battles, right? Um, uh, like I said, we were, you know, we came to school together my freshman year. We were roommates. And um, I'm just so happy for him. And I can tell you now the guy is ready to be here. He's already coaching. Um, and he's already ready to bring that championship pedigree to this university, any, to our university, Chip. <laughs> any any nicknames you had back in the day that we can? Well, we call him Bull. I call him Bull. Okay, right. Everybody calls him Coach. You know, co- you know, Coach Jay Bullware, but I call him Bull. Okay, so I call him Big Bull. So, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I just love the guy, right? I mean, I, I you know, I, I, uh, I don't bother him too much because I, I understand. Uh, what it takes to to be at this level from a right. coaching standpoint, but at the end of the day, I say, hey, you call me, I'll be there for you. Or when you can get together, let's go get together and go grab dinner and break bread. I love it. Right, I love it. Well, listen, great stuff as always, my friend. Happy MLK Day. Um, appreciate the uh, appreciate the time, and uh, let's catch up again soon. Hey, Chip, you're the man, man. Keep on being you. And I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me, sir. Absolutely. There he is. Great stuff there from Norm Watkins, former Texas football player who was also the roommate with uh, newly hired Texas tight ends and special teams coordinator Jay Bulware. Chip, now, you know, we've talked a lot about Texas football. Let's look at the past of Texas football that's actually playing in the NFL now. So with the Super Bowl coming up here in a few weeks, the Longhorns have four people representing the program in the Super Bowl that's uh, on the 49ers. There's Mike Marquise Goodwin, former Texas uh, wide receiver, plus a track star who was an Olympian to coach Kyle Shanahan and then Richard Hightower. And then on the Kansas City Chiefs, there's former defense alignment Alex Okafor, who played at Texas. So I want to kind of get your thoughts on the Longhorns that are playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that the two players are both on injured reserve. So right. Marquise Goodwin and Alex Okafor are both not going to be suiting up for the greatest game in their profession. And I'm sure they're heartbroken about that, although I'm sure they're not going to complain about spending a week in Miami and hanging out with their teammates and they don't really have to worry about curfew and um, getting up early to go to meetings and practice and all that stuff, although I'm sure they would gladly trade in that opportunity. Right. But Kyle Shanahan, what can you say? I mean, he takes over the the San Francisco 49ers and with with John Lynch as the GM. And, and so um, – I think I have an idea for our interview for next week's podcast. At least um, maybe we pop him on. Dan Neal, of course, All-American offensive lineman at the University of Texas, played for the Denver Broncos under Mike Shanahan and remembers Kyle Shanahan hanging around all the time. And, you know, kudos to Kyle Shanahan because he, of course, was at Duke and then he transferred to Texas as a walk-on receiver and and then he gets into the coaching game works works with his dad and is with the Washington Redskins running the offense there uh, but was with Gary Kubiak with the Houston Texans worked his way up from a position coach to the offensive coordinator under Gary Kubiak Gary Kubiak one of the great offensive coordinators 
um, in recent NFL history was the um, offensive coordinator of those Denver Broncos teams we mentioned that won the Super Bowl in, in 97 and 98. But then Kyle Shanahan is the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons and that Super Bowl collapsed where they had a 25-point lead on the Patriots and and stopped running the football. And I thought that was so interesting in watching the 49ers this year. They're running that Denver Broncos um, zone running scheme that running back after running back for the Broncos made a thousand yards. I mean, there was, you know, 2000 yard rusher, Terrell Davis, Mike Anderson, Olandis, Gary, Clinton Portis, Selvin Young was a thousand yard rusher in that scheme. And, and then you see Kyle Shanahan running it in San Francisco with a guy named Raheem, Raheem, yards and dominated the Green Bay Packers in the NFC Championship game. And it's fascinating. And one other little nugget with the Shanahan uh, Mafia as it pertains to the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo is the quarterback, and they signed him to a big contract, $127 million contract after he had only five starts. They traded um, to get him with the New England Patriots. They they gave up a second-round pick to get him. That was a pretty good trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Jimmy Garoppolo gets the big money after five starts, and then three starts into the 18 season, he's out with a season-ending injury. And... Um, Mike Shanahan ended up working with Jimmy Garoppolo that entire season, um, going over film, uh, watching uh, the 49ers opponents, defenses, getting Jimmy to know exactly what to look for, how you know to um, see what the defense is trying to take away. And really, it was as if Jimmy had played all those games with the way that Mike Shanahan tutored him uh, while Kyle Shanahan and the rest of the team were working with the active players. And I don't think there's any doubt that that paid off because in his first full season as a starter for the 49ers, he's completing 69% of his passes. He's had an unbelievable, you know, pro bowl, year and everybody's looking at Jimmy Garoppolo as you know the next big thing um, in the NFC while obviously Patrick Mahomes is the unbelievable um, MVP could be the face of the entire NFL if he wins this Super Bowl Mm -hmm. out of tiny White House Texas and East Texas so it's um, it's fascinating there are all kinds of Texas ties if you look at the fact that Patrick Mahomes, who played at Texas Tech and, of course, as I mentioned, was a high school um, football and baseball star, although Cliff Kingsbury was the only one to offer him. Can you believe that? Absolutely crazy. Cliff knows. He knows. He knows. Yeah. Every time I think of Patrick Mahomes, this is terrible, but every time I think of him, I cannot get the hit that Quandre Diggs delivered on him in the 2014 game at Texas Tech that knocked him out of the game that Texas eventually won. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Oh Charlie my gosh. Strong. Yeah, I was one of his one of his better wins. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of quick story here. I was on the field because I was doing video at the time, so I was um, in the end zone to which Patrick Mahomes was backing up, and I saw Quandre coming, and I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be bad." And I kid you not, Chip, to this day, it is the hardest hit that I have ever witnessed in my life, like firsthand from field level. I mean, the sound of it was just like, oh, he's not getting up. And then when he got up and tried to go to the wrong sideline, I was like, yeah, he's not coming back. But anytime I see Patrick Mahomes, my goodness, all I can think of is Quandre the Giant freaking laying the hammer on him, which I've never seen anything like that before, especially little Quandre, you know? (laughs) Right, right. Right, and if Patrick Mahomes would have stayed in that game, it might have been a different outcome Yes, for Charlie Strong. Instead, it was... Uh, one of the flying test of Verdes who came in mm-hmm. uh, to to relieve him and Texas was able to handle that situation. So 
Um, Taylor, good stuff, good stuff. We'll have uh, some more Super Bowl talk in next week's podcast since they give us two full weeks to get ready for the Super Bowl. Um, but thanks to everybody for, for being a part of this one. Uh, thanks to Bobby Burton, as always. Thanks to Norm Watkins. And, of course, thanks to Taylor Estes, the managing editor of Horns247.com. If you're not a member, get in there, baby. Get that annual membership so that you get VIP access to all the team sites on the 24-7 Sports Network. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you next week on the flagship podcast. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Make it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season, streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus.